and welcome to The History of Judaism, the history and story of the Jews told from a Jewish educated perspective. My name is Yossi Silverman. I am a licensed Israeli tour guide and a Jewish educator. You are listening to podcast number five, the Passover special, Jacob, the wandering Aramean and the first exodus. Last time we discussed Jacob or Yaakov's mother, Rivka, and her role in shaping the future of the Hebrews. How she came from Aram as an outsider and very much controlled the power play between her two sons. We introduced the line that Jews recite in the Passover Seder, the line being, My father was a wandering Aramean, or my father was oppressed by an Aramean. And you may have noticed that this podcast is just in time for the festival of Passover, or as Jews call it, Pesach. So I'm making this my Pesach special. We're going to see how the roots of Pesach, or indeed the entire future of the Jewish people, actually reside in the story of Yaakov's exodus from his uncle Lavan. So we're going to start with a cinematic effect here. Get ready for a flash forward. So, flash forward beginning. It is about 200 years later. The great, great grandchildren of Abraham, Yaakov's sons, went down to Egypt following the pattern of migration during a drought which we discussed at the time of Abraham. They settled in pasture land and farmed their sheep. And they lived in peace with the Egyptian. And then a new pharaoh rose who did not know these people. He enslaved these Hebrews who had become known by the name the Children of Israel. And after a series of incredibly peculiar events, Pharaoh is convinced to let these people go free, convinced or forced by the fact that his people will rebel because they are sick of frogs raining from the sky, their rivers turning to blood, they're being covered in lice, having their cattle go crazy, having mad animals wander around the city, have been covered in boils, having locusts invade, having hail rain down on them from the sky, having the sky turn black and not being able to see anything for a full 24 hours, and then having all their firstborn killed, he agrees to let the children of Israel go free. And this is where our scene starts. The sky is lit up by a full moon. It lights up the wilderness of the land of the eastern delta for as far as the eye can see. The Israelites are told to leave their homes at midnight, but just before they leave, they make a hasty meal of a quick unleavened bread, roast lamb and bitter herbs. We see all the Israelite houses, their doorposts smeared with the blood of a ram, so the angel of death knows to avoid the residents that live in those houses. We see all the cook fires and the people dressed as if to go on a long journey. Our camera pans in on one cook fire and an old man who is eating the Passover meal with his children and he says to them in a very sage voice, You may have thought that this pharaoh was bad, 
You have it easy. In my day, we heard these stories about this guy called Lavan, or what the King James would call Laban, or what somebody might want to call Whitey, because that's what Lavan means. Anyway, this Lavan, real, real, real basket case. Nasty person. You may have thought the Pharaoh wanted to kill just, just the firstborn. Well, let me tell you what Lavan wanted to do. And that's where we're going to start. Now, I know this phrase was actually probably very anachronistic. It was added later by the rabbis. It doesn't appear in the text. It appears in Haggadah, the story that the Jews read on Passover. And that takes place on the first full moon of the first month of the Jewish year. And Jews repeat the phrase... This, what Pharaoh decided to do, was nothing compared to what Levan wanted to do. And then we say that a wandering Aramean, meaning Levan, oppressed my father. Also possibly means a wandering Aramean was my father. This podcast is going to explain that. Back to our timeline. Yitzchak is supposedly fooled into giving his blessing for Asav to Yaakov. Asaph finds out and he cries a deep and bitter cry and he threatens to kill Yaakov. Yitzchak and Rivka send away Yaakov. Off Yaakov flees to Aram the Harim, also in search of a bride. Yet again he comes to a well. Yet again he meets one of the progeny of Nahor, his great-granddaughter, this time Rachel or Rahel. And Yaakov displays... Really huge strength in moving a stone covering the well. Hang on a second. Yaakov's supposed to be a weedy, wimpy guy. And Asaph's supposed to be the big muscle-bound beast. Well, I have a theory that Yaakov and Asaph are a great deal similar than people think. Yaakov has a lot of strength. The question is, how does he use it? So, Rachel goes running off to her father. Whitey! That's right, Lavan, the bad guy for this podcast. Lavan runs out and he hugs and he kisses Yaakov. Some commentators on the Torah suggest he was big busy whilst he was hugging him, checking his pockets for money. Just like the servant of Abraham bought some money, maybe Yaakov did too. Yaakov stays for a month and yet Lavan says, It's a shame that you should stay here and work for free. What's your wages? Okay, number one. Who... Mentioned staying. Number two, who mentioned him working for you? Number three, who mentioned him doing it for free? Is the very similar to the situation with Ephron the Hittite in the third podcast? No, no, no. Please don't you don't say you work here for free. Because you're my family, right? Yeah, you know, you shouldn't have to work for free. After all, I'm doing you a huge, huge favour, so please don't say you'll work for free. And then Yaakov stumbles right into it. Oh, no, no, I'll work for you for nothing. Just let me marry Rachel. And then Yaakov also includes, oh, don't worry, I'll work for seven years for her. Oh, and it's not like Yaakov's got a huge dowry. Uh, hang on a second, he has got a huge dowry. And he's not like he's the heir of another fortune. 
Oh, hang on a second. He is the share of another fortune. Uh, so why is he having to bargain? Oh, that's Lavan who's done that. Yakov? It's a bit of a pushover, right? And so, two generations before the slavery in Egypt, Yakov becomes a slave. Still, Lavan's bad as Pharaoh. How does that happen? Listen on. Yakov toils away for seven years. At the end of seven years, Lavan throws a big party. At the end, Yakov lifts up the bride's veil and... Baba! No, it's Rachel's weak-eyed sister, Leah. And Yakov says, nothing. Lavan gives some weak excuse about not marrying off the younger daughter before the older. By the way, how does it feel to have stuff switched on you, Yakov? How do you like that? How do you like being deceived? Hmm, is this some kind of justice going on here? What did Yakov say to Lavan? Nothing. There's no like protest. There's no like, why do you do that? He just goes and works another seven years for Rachel. So after 14 years, he asks if he can go it alone and get some wages. And Lavan agrees to that. His wages are going to be only the spotty or striped sheep. That's nice for somebody who's been working for 14 years. He creates this really weird contraption where if he can trap a spotted ram into conceiving with another sheep, uh, then he'll produce more spotty rams than sheep. It's a really weird contraption involving spiky pot plastics. I'm not sure how it works, but let's just say Yakov had a fairly big flock at the end, and it's probably a miracle because I don't really think there's much science behind that. In the meantime, Yakov's wives... And the two concubines he got as wedding presents, he gets two concubines as wedding presents, that's nice. Bilha and Zilpa have also been enlarging their herd. He ends up with 11 sons, and then a little bit later after our story, he gets another son left, that's leaving him with 12. Now the impetus to leave, that comes from Rachel and Leah, it doesn't come from Yaakov, Yaakov seems to be fine. They say, let's get out of here. Dad's busy spending our inheritance and he just wants to keep you as a slave for the rest of your life. Besides, Lavanson's got really suspicious about the whole sheep thing. Like, not much is, a lot of focus is given to Rachel and Leah. Lavan has other sons and they're getting the focus, not Rachel and Leah. And similar to the Exodus story, Yaakov leaves in the dead of night. Also similar to the Exodus story, there's a chase scene. And also just before the chase scene, there's a seeming tangent. Rachel steals her father's idols and takes them on the journey. So, I'm going to start the, the chase scene. Lavan realises a day later, Yaakov has scarfed. Oh goodness, where's Yaakov? So he races to catch up with him. It only takes him about a day, so there's an intervening night in the middle. He sets up camp, and we're given an insight into his intentions, and this is the important bit. God visits Lavan. That's a really big thing, just God visiting Lavan. It also says the precise words are that, and God came to Lavan. And he said to him, be careful unless you speak to him good or bad. That's a garbled translation. What does it mean? 
Well, there's a parallel story in the book of Numbers, or the book of Bamidbar in Hebrew. A soothsayer called Bilam, or Balaam in King James, is sent to curse the Israelites. He uses actually the same phrase, and God came to Bilam. That's one of the only places that kind of phrase is used. Like, literally, God went and walked there. In the instance of Bilam, Bilam is trying to destroy the Israelites with words. This is very significant because all Lavan uses is words. Bilam is hired by a king to destroy, to wipe out Israel. Words now have tremendous power. Anybody who doesn't think words don't have tremendous power, somebody can kill you with the words ready, aim, fire. But they have responsibility for a firing squad. So... Lavan managed using words to convince Yaakov to waste over 14 years of his life. Maybe he could have said, kill them boys, and his servants would wipe out Yaakov with his 12 sons and his wives. Don't speak to him good to bad means only speak to him in good things, because you have the power to speak really bad things. Maybe the words could have even been a lot more simple, but just as dangerous in a certain sense. Maybe they could have been just, now you're going back to Aram with me and you're going to be a slave for the rest of your life. And the 12 tribes of Israel, if you hadn't cottoned on to it yet, come from the 12 sons of Yaakov, would never have happened. And this is akin to death. Meaning, if somebody's history in the future doesn't happen, then that's akin to them dying. Go watch Doctor Who. There's plenty of scenarios like that. Now, history and legend have turning points. Points where the story becomes a story with a point as opposed to just a collection of events. And the day the Israelites left Egypt and the meeting with Lavan are two such turning points. Lavan chews out Yaakov for leaving. He makes up this whole act about how he wanted to give them a big party. What, like the party we threw for Avram's servant when he wasn't going to let him leave? And then he insists on searching the camp for his idols, and he turns over everything, and he finds nothing. It's then, after over 14 years of silence, the Bible gives Yaakov a nice long rant. Have you quite finished? I've been working for you for 14 years. In the day, the sun beat down on my head, and at night I ate ice. And what for? What for? For you to go and chase me around and badger me after the, about these dumb idols? Just leave me alone. You can just go away. Yaakov becomes a different person. Not the person who does everything indirectly making contraptions so he can affect the mating behaviour of sheep, dressing up as his brother, all this business, he becomes a fighter. It's not just happenstance. But the night after Lavan leaves him, he has his struggle with an angel from God, and he's given a new name, Israel, the man who struggles with God and man and wins. And Lavan leaves. Lavan sees that Yaakov He's not going to back down. He's not to going to go meekly. He's going to fight physically if need be. 
and Lavan realizes that he's lost. Next, he faces Asav, his brother, and instead of being killed in a nasty way, he shows to Asav how much he has grown. He even offers Asav his birthright right back, saying, he has all of that and more, more enough to live on. Asaph is impressed, has rejected the life of a shepherd for the life of a bandit general anyway. We have been discussing up to this point the group that kept became before the Jews, the Hebrews. Yaakov is one of those Hebrews, but his children, they're much more. So this angel changes Yaakov's name, and Yaakov's behavior in fact changes Yaakov's name. From Yaakov to Yisrael to Israel. And this name has stuck with the Jews to this day. Each of Yaakov's sons will eventually have a large family. A tribe. And these are twelve tribes. And they're known collectively as the children of Israel. Or the twelve tribes of Israel. Next time we will continue the story. We will learn about these twelve brothers and their tribes. And how they ended up getting enslaved in Egypt. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on my website, scoutisrael.com, or iTunes. I am Yossi Silverman, Israeli tour guide, Jewish educator, and you have been listening to the History of Judaism. <laughs>